We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. All right, so I wanted to, um, we'll see how far we get, but I wanted to, uh, we've, we've been talking quite about uh, the presence of God, design the presence of God, presence of God somehow opens up the way to the manifestation of the supernatural power of God. Uh, couldn't have one without the other, could you? You've got to have the presence to have. I've been quite sort of thinking quite a lot about it, quite sort of uh, exercising my own mind about this. And uh, so I thought I'd like to take a little time to, to share that with you. Let's see where we get to. And uh, first of all, we need to try and define what we're talking about. How about something that's not just in the mind or in the natural, but kind of touches something deep inside. And you find it in James chapter 4, verse 8. If we come near to God, he promises to come near to us. It's a quite, a, quite a significant promise. It's not like, um, you know, you reach out to think, where you think he might be, and then he's sort of just moved. It comes the other way. His promise is, as we seek to draw near, he's not running away, but he's actually there and coming towards us. Even when we don't feel that he's there. I've described experience in my own life where I felt, boy, I've really kind of wandered away from the presence of God. And I think it's, it's part of the work of, of the enemy to cause you to feel that there's a, there's a long, long climb. Up a, it's always uphill as well, it feels, to get back. And you turn and find that he's there. He never went. You felt that you'd come a long way away, but the moment we turn... He's there to make himself real and to make himself known. Draw near to me and I... See, the promises of God are pretty solid. They're backed with the fact that he's God and he cannot lie. And if he says something, if he says he's going to do something, there's no two ways about it. That's exactly what's going to happen. Anybody feel... Uh, like me, that I'd like to draw closer, like to know more of the presence of God. Yeah. Where did that, where did that come from? Where did that desire come from? Where did that interest come from? It certainly didn't come from the enemy. Could it be that that's God at work in us? Could it be that it's the fulfilling of the scripture that says it's God who works in you both to create the desire and to give you the ability to do what he wants? And for sure, given his love, he wants to come closer to us. Now, what I want us to try and get hold of is that this is something that goes beyond a, a mental ascent. This is something that that affects our whole being, if you like, body, soul, and spirit. So this is, there is a, a measure of a mental exercise, I make a decision. 
but I'm making a decision, if you like, about something which I can't do anything about. So we are dependent upon something, or in this case, someone outside and beyond ourselves to enable us to fulfill or to see fulfilled that desire which this God is creating in us. And as a company of people, what I'm picking up is there's a quickening at this time. There's a, a, an increase at this time for something more of God's presence and God's power. And that's got me definitely thinking and looking at that. So when I thought about this, I thought, well, let's, let's see where we start from. And that's where I'd like to concentrate for this period of time. What, what have we actually got? What's our starting position? I mean, in anything in life, you, you've got to start from where you are. But what's our starting position? Where, where are we? Let's just rehearse together the fact that he, God, set his love upon us. Yeah? Um, can we take it a little bit further than that? He set his love upon me. How do I know that? Well, a variety of ways. But I'll start off by the fact that he cannot lie and he said it. Can you join with me? He set his love upon me. Mm. goes beyond that. Remember that he teaches us in his word that right down through the fact of Adam and Eve's sin, sin entered into the world, disobedience to God. I'm not going to get into all the sort of manifestations of that. Most of us are aware of some that we could easily identify with. And that, the, the, the thing that matters is that, that what have we actually done about Jesus? Where, where do we stand in respect of that? And until we come to that point where we submit our lives to his rule, we are outside of what he wants. But in order to do that, in order to deal with the issue that we've got, Jesus became our lawyer, intercessor, and in fact, went further than that. He paid our debt. He removed the barrier. He basically did what was necessary so we could uh, actually fulfill this desire to enter into the reality of his presence. Actually, when you think of it, we're out free. From the moment we submit to him, we're out free. We're acquitted. And this, is, this is, goes beyond mercy. This is justice. We're actually free and justice has determined that we're free because the issue, the barrier, the problem has been removed. Therefore, if we're in Christ, this is the verdict. We're clear. We're okay. We're right with God. All that is necessary has been done. So you don't actually need outward approval. You don't need to find a place where somehow you're more acceptable. I mean, it's nice if you are, but it, it, our life doesn't depend on that. Because there's something, this is really, really important. I, I, want you to, I want you to get this. There's something that God has done by miracle of his grace that we're no longer determined our well-being, how we feel, how we are, is no longer determined by 
how acceptable we are to other people. Now, it's nice if you are, but deep within, there's a place of safety, a place of security, a place where that is not determined simply by how people are. It's what God has done. We used that phrase way back when we were talking about the Esther story some while ago, about gaining the praise of the most praiseworthy. The highest possible place of praise is God himself, and he has determined our acceptability. In fact, it goes beyond that. Let's just, let's just take that for a moment. It goes into this. He says that we will actually share in his glory. If you're not sure about that, it's in Romans 8, 17. And it come like this. On that time when he says, well done, that's an achievement, good and faithful servant. That's a time when we actually share in his glory. It's fame, it's a good report, and it's recognition. Say, well, that's a, that's a bit dangerous. A bit dangerous there. We get a bit proud. No, no danger, because uh, except we become as a child, we can't even enter the kingdom. So he deals also with the issue of humility, and actually, with perfect humility, you don't need a false modesty. It dispenses with the well. It, it, it wasn't. It's not really me. Yes, it is. It's what God's done. He's changed you into something different. He's caused you to be, not only because he set his love upon you, but his love caused him to make the provision so that you're perfectly acceptable to him. Of course, the other side was what, uh, what we read in the Bible that you had to say to some religious people, depart from me, I didn't know you. Oh yeah, I saw your actions, I saw things you were doing, but I didn't know you. Because I didn't have that place. You had not responded to my love. You had not come to that place of saying, because of your love and because of what you've done, I've come, I've yielded to you and come into your kingdom. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 3 says that we will be noticed by him. Known by him, noticed by him. I, I find this beyond my comprehension. I can only accept it to be real and true. And I'm looking for that unfolding understanding of the, of the depth. And I don't think it will ever be complete until we're finally together with him. Where we're constantly coming into a greater measure of awareness of just how deep his love is and how real it is and the effect of it and what he's done. It's an amazing thing. So our starting place is where we are in Christ, known by him. Of course, we come into that, we, if you like, win by submitting, uh, submitting to him. Um, don't have to fight for that. Um, this is just a question of submitting to him and serving him and obeying. That's a great heritage. That's a great salvation. Uh, that he's done for us. And I think that the, the place of entering more and more into his presence is understanding with greater 
awareness, a greater revelation of just who we are. That that's where we're home. That's our welcome. That's what God has for us. And I was, as I was thinking around this, looking at, um, do you remember the story of Jacob uh, and he wrestled with the angel of the Lord and uh, it was quite a fight. And in the end, uh, they did a little dislocation job, popped his hip or something like that. You know. If I'm getting too medically technical for you, don't worry, it's all there somewhere. Preceded that. What came before that? He said, what's your name? There was a place where he admitted what his name was. And his name was Jacob, meaning deceiver. From the point that he admitted, in other words, he said, I am wrong. I'm in the wrong place. From that point, and he touched his bones and amazing, God pops it out of joint just to get his attention. Amazing what God will do to just get our attention. And it's not because we're, we're necessarily purposely determined to go the wrong way. It's just because he loves us. He'll do things to get our attention. Just as he did for Jacob. And of course, trust it's not the same for, for what he did for Jacob. But he will do things because of his love and care for us to actually gain our attention and get us because he loves us so much. That's why he's prepared to pop out of joint, ego or pride or even our peace or the strategies that we've determined. I mean, he, he can interrupt things because he's God. And his power came through his weakness, the cross. Yes, we know, we read, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he chose for our sake. And likewise, we, in weakness, recognizing that we don't have that which is necessary to commend to him, to gain an acceptable place, to gain what he's actually got stored up for us, we come in weakness and say, Lord, I give myself to you in order that you may gain what he has. God's power. 2 Corinthians 3.13 says this, it's God's power to actually live with him to serve you. God's power to live with him to serve you. That is just an amazing thing. That he, on the basis of us saying we can't, says, okay, I can in you. And gives the power to live that way. I love this version of it. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become righteousness, the righteousness of God through our union with him. That is the bedrock of what he has done for us. How could, if he's done that, how could we have any expectation other than it's in his plan that we 
enjoy ever increasingly his presence. So I'm in him. It's no longer I that lives, but I'm in him. Let's just drill this down a little bit more before we try to go anywhere else. In the story, in the account of the Holy Spirit being poured out in the book of Acts, and this was the beginning of, of church. This was the beginning of God establishing what he wanted as his representation on earth. Peter, under the anointing of the Spirit of God, begins to tell people, actually not vastly different from what we've just been saying, Right, it was his way and he was referring to scriptures, but the content, the substance of it, was what we've just been saying. And it says this, and he says, and they were cut to their heart, in Acts chapter 2. See, there is an element of decision, but there's an element of something that goes way beyond a kind of intellectual decision. This is something that happened cut to his heart, something that happened in the very centre of his being, uh, or to the people that were there, the very centre of their being. It was something that went beyond. It was something that went beyond a description of words. It went beyond just simply making a, a decision, a good decision, but actually something happened beyond that. Something caused them to see, and this is what he said to them. You are the people that crucified him. Now, actually, literally, probably not. They may have been there in the crowd, they may not, we don't know. But it was bringing it to such a personal level. In fact, you could substitute the word stabbed him, which is a very kind of close up and personal action. And they were hearing that because of their situation, because of their need, which is the same as we are or were, there was something that God did in Jesus and it went right to their heart, right to the centre of their being. I read this. It was like when Jesus looked at Peter, there was something that said, I know you've broken the rules, but there was something else. He said, but you've also broken my heart. Somehow it goes beyond that sort of uh, intellectual thing. We're not asked to cast that aside. We're asked to make decisions, but then there's something that God has to do. Another thing, beyond breaking the rules, is that you broke my heart. I loved you. I loved you so much that I went to the cross for you and you have, you have spurned me, you've turned away. I remember the first time I experienced that. I had managed to, what shall I say, evade God for a period of time. This was not about lots of knowledge. This was about an act of the will. And there came a point where in the limited ability that I had, I made a decision. I said, you know, I want to turn from that. That was the first time that I ever experienced what we're talking about here. Something beyond just a decision. Something that became transformational. Cut to the heart. I guess probably that was the basis, you know, of actually coming into that place. You know, 
the truth of the matter is, it's his love for you, his love for you, that kept him on the cross. Guys, we ain't talking about some kind of nice theory or religious position or doctrine. We're talking about a personal attraction. He loved you so much that he stayed on the cross so that you could have the benefit of what only he could get for you, which was relationship with God, the presence of God. That's a, that's a thing that has a transaction beyond communication. That's the thing that you can only experience it. I could stand here all day describing it, but it's something that has to be experienced. It may be an experience that you say, you know what, I, I've, I've, I've ascribed to this, but I've never experienced this cut to the heart, my heart melting, something that goes beyond just an intellectual kind of decision, an experience. The Bible talks about being born again. It's a life-giving experience. Yeah, there's, a, there's a process. The Bible talks about repent. That's where the melting of heart takes place. That's the desire to change. That's the recognition that, that actually only God can do this. Probably, the Bible talks about taking away the heart of stone and giving a heart of flesh. It, it, it's, an, it's an internal change that leaves us no longer dependent upon the external approval of the people around us or otherwise. Then, of course, it says about being baptised. When we're baptised, we gain a new community. So we had a new heart at that point, then a new community, because we're baptised into the body of Christ. We're given a new family. And then we receive, according to his promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is a, a new power, new ability. Of course, uh, we love the story. It was a parable that Jesus told of the... Um, of the two sons. We often call it the story of the prodigal son. There's the one that went away, took his part of the inheritance, squandered it, and basically did everything that was wrong, and the other one that stayed. The thing that always, always speaks to us is this, that when the son returned, you know, in the story, you never hear anything about the father saying, well, you did waste everything, I gave you half of what I had, and look what you've done with it. There's no talk about that. In fact, the son was coming because the son realized that there was something better with the father than he'd managed to find in the whole world. And when he comes, the father, it's this beautiful picture, is waiting, looking out, always expecting, always ready. And of course, did a big party for his return. The story of the prodigal son. Then we talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when... God first sent the Holy Spirit, it came and it was like, the Bible says, it was like tongues of fire. Now fire uh, represents always the presence of God. And these tongues, these flames that seem to rest on people was the representation of his presence. Basically saying, it's in his plan that every born-again believer becomes like the, like the burning bush that Moses turned aside to, that there was something of the presence there 
something of the, of the awareness uh, that, they, that, that it was different, that there was a, an anointing of God, something to turn aside to. So that's what we've got. I'm going to take just a few minutes, make a start on this, and then we'll see. So if that's what we've got, and we've got this feeling about more of the presence and power of God, what's next? Well, let's just learn from the pattern that God's given us in his word. Learn from the book of Acts. But let's remember, uh, what, is that, what is that saying? Uh, survival is the lowest form of life. Yeah? Survival is the lowest form of life. I don't want to be in the lowest form of life. Survival could equate to the fact, yes, uh, God has reached to me and has made me right with him. But that, that's, that's just the beginning. Surely, I want to go more than just, you know, oh, well, I'm okay now. Uh, just got to wait until I die or Jesus comes or something like that. I mean, many of you have not had this experience, but that was my growing up experience before I rejected anything to do with God. Basically, it was the gospel. That's a gospel that a lot of people live under today. They live under the fact that come to Jesus, get your sins forgiven, get a ticket to heaven, and just try and sit there and be good until Jesus comes. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he anoints us, empowers us, causes us to be like the burning bush of people that receive the Holy Spirit, that dwell in his presence, that experience his presence, that carry his presence and his power. That's his plan, that we are anointed and empowered to carry on the miracle work of Jesus even after Jesus had departed this earth. So what's next is learning more about preparing for the Holy Spirit. And by the way, let's not, let's not relegate the experience of the Holy Spirit to just baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is great, the initiation of that. The Bible, uh, if we correctly translate what the Bible says, it, it talks about be, being filled with the Holy Spirit. It talks about, like... Rivers of living water springing up from our innermost being. It's something which is, is real and fresh and continuous. So we prepare for more of the Holy Spirit, what he desires to do now. So let's carry on. Acts chapter 1. They all join together constantly in prayer. So they're joining together. There's a, a sense of togetherness in it. I, I'm pleased about that, you know. I'm quite pleased that, you know, we're together. Yeah? I'm not bored with the fact that some of us have been together 30 odd years. I still enjoy it because it's what God does. It's the bringing together. It's the family of God. That's very, very significant, very important. So they continue together um, constantly uh, and uh, in prayer. And then it goes on to say, 
uh, again, they were all together, uh, particularly brings it out in the King James Version, all together in one place of one accord. They were together with a level of oneness. There was a unity. There was a being filled with the Spirit. And then there was the speaking in tongues. See, let's understand, this is not some kind of form of gibberish. This is a language that God gives that, as it were, wells up from within to enable us to be able to express ourselves to God. We call it a heavenly language. Enables us to more fully communicate with God. And then we know that they stuck with this. They weren't distracted. Beware of distractions. Do you know what? Even legitimate things can be distractions. We can sing songs and be distracted. Do you realize that? Because we got lost in the song and not what we're actually communicating or declaring. See, we, we can easily think, oh, we, we, there were some things we know would distract us. But we've got to be careful because anything in its wrong place can distract us. Then we see that this was happening. It was God's promise. It's in God's word. Again, refer back to that chapter um, where Peter refers back to the fact that there it was declared in Scripture and it's just the same today. The promise is still there. The declaration is still there. And it was God's timing. God did what he wanted to do at his moment in time. To hear something, but to be switched on to what God is doing. Not just hearing what God is doing. And I'm asking, guys, that you join with me. I'm not expecting everybody to stand. But I'm expecting there will be some that say, you know what? There's something about the reality of this great salvation, this gift from God. I don't have it yet, but I want God to melt my heart. I want that experience. There are others that are quite clear that they're already living in that, and you say, you know, what, what I want is, I can't remember all what he was saying or anything like that, but there's something that stirs in me about the presence and the power. I want that. That is a purpose. It's that the God, the Holy Spirit, would quicken in us what He wants, so that we can comply with Him. Yes, it's great if you can, if you you know, very bright, and you can get all these things and all that sort of thing. But you know, if we were to go back over all the things, even this year, and we've heard some great stuff, it'd be a limited amount. And you know, if you keep on doing what you've always done and expect a different outcome. I think that is the definition of insanity. So I don't really want to be in that category. This is my position. If there is something that quickens the heart and causes a response towards God, then we're achieving the purpose of God. I don't really care how it comes. So let's come back. Can you identify with that place? Can you identify with the place? Of, it's not just a decision, but uh, I, it's an experience that I don't know what he's talking about personally, but it sounds as though that's something I'd like to have. And if at the same time you can, you can kind of, from deep within, agree, you know what? There 
there's something that we, God has got for us, more of his presence. Let's just check in and find out how that, how's that going to be. What is this in prayer together, one accord? What is this oneness? What is this sense of God does what only God can do? Yeah? Yeah? That's, that's all. You, you have to decide, you can do it right now, you that there's something that you desire, and I'm just using the phrase about melting heart. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk, or Twitter, at Lifeline UK. Thank you.